right. Good morning. Good morning. You guys doing good today? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Did you guys notice something? Ricky, come back out here. Ricky, Ricky, where you at? Ricky, he ran. Ricky, come out here right now. Come up here. We text every, each other every Sunday. Just Now, this is what happens when you have unity of the spirit, that's people. Right. You just want to, yeah. that's just the way. Thank you, Lord. All right. Hope you guys are doing well. Guys, summer's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Every person with older kids is bummed about that. Every person with little kids are just like, yes, it is. It's coming to an end. How many of you guys had a good summer? Good summer? All right. How many guys? Ah, not so good. There's a big difference there. Big difference. Uh, how many guys went on a plane ride this summer? How many had to fly on a plane? How many guys hate riding on planes? Hate riding on planes. Okay. We got a few. Okay. How about a Boudreaux joke about riding on a plane? <laughs> Let's just go with that right now. Right. Boudreaux and Thibodeau, they're, uh, they're getting on a plane ride. They've never been on a plane ride. Uh, they were getting on a plane ride together. They are flying from Louisiana, and they, they had a long flight ahead of them. And as they took off, they got about an hour and a half into their flight, and they hear a huge boom. So the captain comes over to the intercom and says, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just want to inform you, we have lost one of our engines, but I want to let you know there's no reason to worry. This plane was designed to fly just as well with three engines as with four. And so we'll be fine. But I do want to let you know, because we lost an engine, it's going to take us a little bit longer to get to our destination. It's going to take about 30 minutes longer. So he goes off. Just a few minutes later, another, boom! Captain comes back on the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, I uh, just need to, to inform you that we've lost another engine. Uh, but I want to let you know, this plane can fly really well. It's fine. It can fly just as well with two engines. And so we're safe. But the journey is going to take a little bit longer. Uh, since we lost another engine, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a good hour and a half longer than originally planned. Goes off the intercom. A few minutes later, boom! Captain comes over the intercom. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I, I know it's hard to believe this, but we've lost another engine. I do want you to know that we're okay. We'll be able to make it. This plane can fly on one engine but it's going to take us three hours longer than originally anticipated to get to our final destination. And he goes off the intercom and then Tipito leans over to Boudreaux. He says, Oh boy, I hope that last engine doesn't go out. We're going to be up here all day long. <laughs> okay. We'll mark that one off. Pastor Rick. Thanks for nothing. Earlier in this summer, a lot of our campuses went through this series in the book of James. And uh, we, we had a bunch of different speakers coming in, so it wasn't really fitting for us. But I wanted to circle back with it because there's a couple messages that I believe could really help us. And so I want to ask you this question. If you didn't get that last joke, maybe this could redeem you. How many of you, uh, I just want to ask you this. Who wrote the book of James? Okay, I'm so glad you didn't say Paul or John or something like that, or I was just going to leave right now because that would be really discouraging. But yes, James wrote it. But what a lot of people don't know or understand, there were two James that were among the 12 disciples, but neither one of those James wrote this book. James was a half-brother of Jesus, 
And uh, how many of y'all know there's a lot of pressure being the brother of Jesus? <laughs> Come on. You imagine Mary just all the time like, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? I heard it my whole life growing up. I know exactly what that's like. I mean, just the pressure of that, go to a swim party. That'd be a lot of fun. Jesus running around on the top of the water. James is like, I only doggy paddle. You know, it'd be kind of, kind of lame. But, but, but James didn't actually believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, half brothers typically don't believe that. Half brothers, if your dad comes or your brother comes up and says, I'm deity, uh, you, you know, you'd have a hard time believing that. In fact, scripture shows that at one point, Jesus' brothers and sisters all wanted him to be institutionalized because they thought that he was crazy. If your half-brother or sister was saying that they were God, you would probably feel the same way. But everything changed, obviously, because we have this book. So what do you think the card is that Jesus played that got James to change his mind? Resurrection from the dead. That, that did it for, for James. Like, when, look, when your brother's dead and then three days later he shows up, you're eating breakfast and biscuits and gravies, it, it'll change your mind about some things. And Jesus, actually, there was just a few people that Jesus appeared to individually after the resurrection, and James was one of those people. And so this book was written at about 40 A.D., uh, and this is when the, the church had begun to disperse. It was right after uh, the, the, the killing of Stephen, okay, the first Christian martyr. And as soon as that happened and the Christians started realizing, man, we're going to be persecuted. There's going to be a lot more people that they're going to try to kill. And so they dispersed. And this letter, book, this is actually called an epistle. Okay, an epistle. And, and some of you may think that epistle is the wife of an apostle, but that's not right. Uh, an epistle is actually a letter. I, I know, I guess that too at one point or another, but uh, an epistle is actually just a letter. It's a letter to a group of people. And so James is writing to these people because he's seeing that even though they know the word, they understand the gospel, they're not living it. They're remaining immature in the Lord. They're remaining immature as believers. And so this book is teaching them not how to get saved, but how to live as a true believer. So how can you get ready for these messages? Write in James, I think it'll give you the posture that you would wanna have to receive from God on this. In James chapter one, verse 21, it says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that the word of God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. So what does this mean? I think it just means having the attitude of, I need this. I need this. I wanna be open to whatever God wants. Because a lot of times, a lot of people hear the word, but they push back on it. A lot of people hear the word and they like it at first, but, but then they lose it as soon as they get in their car to leave church or as soon as they get into a situation that, that, that actually tests their faith around the word of God. And so I, I think it's important that you just say, look, it, it, and here's here, just so you know, you never arrive when it comes to maturity in Christ. Uh, it, it isn't like, man, I've, I've read the, now that I've read the Bible seven times, it's the number of completion. And, and since I've done that and I've led life groups and I've just done all these amazing things, I've gone on missions trips and all that, I'm a mature believer. It just doesn't happen that way. 
because we're being transformed in the likeness of Christ. And so the day you say, I'm a mature believer, I've arrived, it's you saying, I'm basically Jesus and none of us are him. And so I I think it's important that all of us stay in a place like, what can I learn? How can I grow? I certainly have been doing that even as I've been preparing this message. Like, man, these are verses that I've memorized, I've known a long time, but, but how are they applicable in my life today? The people that he's writing to, like they know these principles, but it isn't changing them. And why? Because they had no room for God. They had no room for his presence in their life. Without his presence, it doesn't matter how much you know. What you know can't change you. You've got to have his presence. But their lives had gotten crowded. And I think sometimes we may romanticize like what the early church looked like. Like, man, it's just amazing and miracles and thousands of people getting saved. But, but here's the deal. They dealt with the same things that you and I deal with. They still had people that were immoral. They still had people that were sinning. They still had thieves. They still had adulterers. They still had people that, that were addicted. They still had people that were bound up with demons. They still had all these issues. Any issue that you could name right now, these people still had all those issues in the church in the church. And so I think that it's definitely relevant. James 1, verse 22, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law which is honestly, that's Jesus. Jesus was the completion, the perfection of the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So this book is about maturity in Christ. And I think it's important that you mature in Christ so that you can really fulfill your purpose in his kingdom. God is not just going to trust anybody with just anything when it comes to his kingdom. Like you're not going to go and give the keys to your truck to a toddler. You're not going to go give the keys to your truck to your two-year-old. Why? Because you love your two-year-old and you love your truck. (laughs) In the same way that you won't give an immature in age and in development, something that they can't handle because you love them, God won't give you something. God won't give you the keys to his kingdom. God won't give you the keys to big things around his kingdom if you haven't matured to the place to handle it because he loves you and because he loves his kingdom, because he loves all the people that that's going to include. So we need to mature in this. We need to mature in what God would want us to do and what God would want us to have. I think that there's, there's a good chance a lot of you are praying for more things. Uh, maybe literally like the keys to more things. But I, I, I think a mature prayer is to pray, Lord, please don't give me anything that I can't handle and still keep you first. God, don't give me this new job and this promotion if I can't have it, but still keep you number one. Uh, God, don't give us another child 
if we can't handle it and still trust you no matter what. God, don't give me this spouse. Don't give me marriage to someone. If I can't handle it and still keep you first. I think that's a more mature prayer to pray. What if you had, just hypothetically speaking, just completely hypothetical. What if you had this 15-year-old who thinks they're 25 but has the maturity of an eight-year-old? Hypothetically speaking, like what if that, what if that happened, some, you knew someone, uh, and all of a sudden, one day, this 15-year-old comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I've been thinking, I, I really want to mature. And I know that I'm probably not where I need to be. And I know that, I know that there's some things I need to learn and I need to grow in. And I've realized that I just haven't been seeking enough wisdom from you on what it means to be a mature young man. And I want to be that. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you some time to think about what that means. And I'm going to go mow the yard uh, and I'm going to do the dishes and just clean around the house a little bit and make sure brothers and sisters are all taken care of. And then I'll come back and check with you on what you came up with. First of all, you're going to faint. Like they're going to have to pick you up off the ground because these things are never heard from these individuals, right? But also know this. I know that if they could come to you with that sincerely, you're going to hook them up and just saying, them realizing, them coming to the place like, man, I'm just not where I want to. I think that's how God would want us to position. God wants us to be in that place. This is, this is what this verse is saying. It's saying, Lord, let your will be done around our lives. In James 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, this is probably not a verse that you got tattooed somewhere because it's not the most encouraging thing. Like, life is a vapor. You're a mist. (laughs) But what James is trying to do is like, get some perspective. Instead of living your life, letting your feelings and your emotions and your passions direct every decision you make, really live life and find out what God wants you to do with your time. So first of all, what can we learn from James? Pure joy is stronger than a child trial. Pure joy is stronger than a trial. Some more scripture here. Verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, I just find that so often people will get into that difficult time and that difficult season and something will begin to produce in them and they'll see that and they'll see the fruit of it. But then they're like, okay, I think I'm good now. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't bail out so quickly. Stay in there. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. 
and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. There's so much in here, but I will say this. I think that this is probably not preached on enough. This concept and what he's saying here, he's saying, because look, nobody wants to hear, consider pure joy, brother, when you're living in living hell. Like nobody wants to hear that. So it almost sounds like, like is, the, is the word being sarcastic? You know? Are you, is, it, is it patronizing us? Like, consider it pure joy. What it is saying is, there's a bigger perspective. If you have it, no matter what happens, you'll be able to consider everything with joy. You'll see it. Not only will you consider it, but you'll have it. You'll just, you'll have it in these seasons. James is saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials because it's making you stronger in Christ for later. About 18 years ago, right around when when I met Cody, we first started dating, I was in an incredibly tough season in ministry. And I don't want to go into a lot of the details, but, but this is basically what's happening. There were a lot of people with a lot of authority that were using the authority in the wrong way, and a lot of people were getting hurt, and I was in the middle of it. And, and I got to a place where I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, and he even started thinking of, of, of a way out, um, possibly out of ministry. It was one of my first contexts working in ministry. And so I was like, man, if this is how this is going to be, I don't want to do this. Because this is just ridiculous. It was messed up. And, and in that season, man, my first impulse was to leave. But I, but I knew that the Holy Spirit had told me to stay and to wait and to not quit. Look, I've noticed that life can hurt you. But running away is not the mature thing to do. Running away with a bad attitude? You run away with a bad attitude, the attitude's gonna go with you. Also, if you run away and leave something without God's blessing, the blessing's not gonna be where you're going to. Like when you show up in that place, if you ran away without God saying, it's time to go, you're not gonna feel his presence and his blessing where you go, no matter how good it looks. It's very important that you hear from God. And so that's what I was trying to do. And I stayed. And I'm telling you, it was really tough. Cody would tell you, man, that it was an incredibly tough couple of years. But I want you to know, I grew up in those couple of years. I grew up, and and with so much help from the Holy Spirit, so much help from God, I learned the greatest lesson in truly trusting God that I could have ever learned. I learned lessons around true submission. That true submission really has absolutely nothing to do with the person that you may have to submit to has everything to do with complete and total surrender and trust in God. No matter who the person is that you have to lead under or serve under. And I wanna tell you, I know without a doubt that our ministry would not probably even be here, but certainly would not be as strong as it is today if I hadn't learned those lessons 
if by the grace of God, I didn't persevere in those times. How many golfers are in the house? Any golfers in the house? Like to play some golf? Okay. Uh, I like to play golf. A, a, a few years ago, I, my drive was a mess. And, and I was, so I was trying to get some help. But I had a friend, pretty close friend, who used to be the long drive champion. And, and so I went and I'm like, if you know, you're going to get a lesson from anybody, go to this guy. And so I went to him. And, and as soon as he looked at my swing, he said, man, adjust this. You're going to hit it a lot straighter, a lot further. I was like, awesome. So I did it. And sure enough, man, I, I probably was hitting it 50 yards further than I was before. It was, it was awesome. It was amazing. So then I went to play golf and I could drive the ball really well. But the rest of my game, it was exactly like Happy Gilmore. Like I was angry, like yelling at the ball, go to your home. Why don't you just go to your home? Like, I, I was like, man, I just, can't I just drive the green every time? Like it'd be so much easier. The point is this, you can go and get a lesson and get a quick fix for something that you wanna change. But it doesn't mean that you address the fundamentals. And there's a lot of fundamentals that if you don't address those things, there might be one place in your life that's going to look better, but the rest of your life is still going to be a mess. But what I find is so often we want the quick fix for this one big area. And what God is saying, no, there are fundamentals that if you will put all of these things together, then you're going to have a great game. You're going to be able to do this and do it well, but you can't resist all the details. He's working on your character. Character character is developed in the fundamentals. It's developed in the small things. Some of you, you have a bad marriage. And and I don't want to preface this with saying, I'm not saying if you are, if somebody's beating you and, and your life is in danger, run, get out of there. Okay, but some of you, you're in a bad marriage and, and, I'll, and, and I promise you this, you will find a friend that'll tell you to run. You'll find that really easily. You'll find somebody that says, you should just get out of there. But I also say, God is probably saying, stay, I'm producing maturity in you. I'm producing maturity in you. God doesn't want you to go when you want to go. He wants you to go when he says you're ready to go. And you've got to trust him in those seasons. What are you trying to get away from? I would encourage you, instead of trying to figure out what you're trying to get away from, let God call you to something, not away from something. And wait for him to do that. Number two, humility will help you find real success in Christ. Um, one of the most humble people that I know, and, and most of you probably haven't met him, uh, he's usually at our, at our Conway campus, his name's Ben Gormley. And this dude, if you've never met him, okay, the only way I can describe him is he's like this really smart, mature, godly elf. Um, that, that, that's like, if, if you, if you want to meet the Christian elf, meet Ben Gormley, because that's who this guy is. He's just like, so happy all the time and just full of joy. And so a few years back, just a, uh, several years back, they're getting ready to start the worship set. And as soon as they start, everyone else, he's leading, he's, he's leading the team. Everyone else on the team starts the first song. 
Then starts the second song. That didn't go well. It wasn't working, and so he stopped it. And he said, hey, everybody. (laughs) I messed up. And I know that all of you got dressed and got your families here because you want to encounter the presence of God and not to be any distractions. And that's what I just did is not helping. And I'm sorry about that. Um, Will you give us another chance? I promise you people weren't chanting, no way, no way, no way. Like, of course they're like, yes. And here's the deal. That worship set was anointed because humility came into the mix. (laughs) Even when you mess up, if you can be humble, just watch the presence of God come on you. It was amazing to see that. Verse nine says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. What? Take pride in your high position that's low. It's because the kingdom of God is upside down. The kingdom of God doesn't work like a pyramid like the rest of, of culture and business and all that works. It's, it's, it's the lowest or the highest, the least or the greatest. One of the stories that Pastor Rick told us uh, about when, before he was starting ministry, he went to one of his friends, Dino Rizzo, and he asked Dino, Dino, do you have any advice for me? And, uh, and Dino just, he, he told him a story that, that God had allowed him to encounter. Uh, Dino, when he had first planted his church, when you first planted church, like, you know, there's, you don't have a bunch of staff. It's usually like you and you, and, and then there's like a bunch of volunteers. And, and so one day he shows up at church and it's early, it's before services are going to start. And somebody comes running and says, Pastor Dino, there's a toilet in the bathroom. It's overflowing and it's a mess. And he is the janitor. He is the pastor. He's everything. And so he goes into the bathroom and he described what it looked like and it wasn't good. And he, he tried to get a plunger and use a plunger and the plunger didn't work. And so he realized the only option he had, he had to take off his jacket, roll up his sleeve and stick his hand down in this toilet. And Dino said, when he stuck his hand in the toilet, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. (laughs) It's got silly timing sometimes. His hand is down in this and, and he felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He said, Dino, you're a good preacher. You're a good communicator. But what I've called you to do and be is much more than a speaker and a communicator. Never take your hand out of the mess of people's lives. So his advice to Pastor Rick is keep your hand in the mess. What's the moral of the story? Never shake a preacher's hand because you never, you don't know. You don't know where it's been. And I'm just saying we deal with some messes. And all the moral is remain humble. Remain humble. And one of the best ways to do that is you serve the least. You serve the least. You serve those that are difficult to serve. They're messy. Literally. Smelly. And high maintenance. You serve those people. You stay in humility. 
When I first became the campus pastor here, I was really nervous because I'd never really spoke before. Um, other than on missions and sharing my testimony and stuff, I never spoke a full sermon before. And, and I knew how good of the communicators were around our church. And so, uh, you know, so there was some comparison there. There was some insecurity that I had. And, uh, but then as I learned to speak and communicate and I, and I began to enjoy it, then I, I, then I was started worshiping having the ability to speak. And, and it got me to a place where I really didn't want anybody else to speak. Um, and I could probably justify it for a lot of different reasons in my mind, like, well, I mean, it's just really important, and, and I don't want to get somebody up there that, you know, that if they don't do well, and, and it could be somebody's first time, and what if they don't come back, or what if they say something that's off, and then it confuses somebody. So I justified it in a lot of different ways, but the bottom line was this. I was being prideful. I wasn't being humble. And I remember some of the first few times that I started letting other people communicate. There was a different kind of pride that hit me. There's a pride of honoring people, giving people a chance. And when I did that, I was like, man, this is so good. Like, even if, they, even if they didn't always do the perfect job, I felt God just covering it. And so what I learned is instead of being afraid that somebody, a lot of pastors, they're in a position all the time, they're afraid somebody's trying to split the church. Just going around paranoid, like a watchdog. Just wondering, like, what's going on? I think we should be much more afraid of not giving people a chance to do what God's called them to do. And let God protect. Let God cover. Stay in a place of humility. Number three, everything worth craving comes from the Father. Verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. You can trust God. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He says, don't be dragged away. I think it's important for all of you to know the area of your life that could drag you away. It usually falls into a few different categories, okay? It's, it's girls and guys, which is, is sex. It's glory. That's pride. It's gold, your money, your career, or getting high. And that's legal or illegal drugs, alcohol. Those are usually the primary areas that people wind up getting dragged away and falling into sin. And all of us have that. And so in my life, I have to be aware, as a pastor, I have to be aware of the areas of my life that no matter how strong I feel like I'm doing in those areas, my flesh will always have a desire for those things. And I've got to be aware so so I'm not enticed. Because it ultimately will lead to death. 
uh, and the greatest death would just be my own ability to approach God with confidence, to know that he loves me and accepts me. God cannot feed our souls if we're too busy feeding our flesh. If you want what God has for you, you've got to be aware, how much am I feeding my soul and how much am I just taking care of my flesh? What you do with your faith, man, it's obviously important and it's spiritual, but what you do with the other areas of your life are also spiritual. What you do with your finances, it's spiritual. What you do with your sex life, it's spiritual. What you do with your schooling, with your family, with your career, with your relationships, it's all spiritual. And God wants to be in the middle of all of it. He cares about it all. Don't get dragged away from Christ and the things that you do. Keep him in the middle of it. The problem is we want every advancement immediately. We, we, we like that, that quick service, right? We want it to happen now. We want it to happen when we want it to happen. And God wants you to finish strong, but the way that happens is in consistent movement. I, I, how many of you notice that we have a tendency, especially as our culture, that we celebrate the milestones, right? We make a big deal about the milestones. Uh, just a quick note on that. I have no problem celebrating a one-year-old but a one-year-old has not accomplished anything. <laughs> but I've noticed we make a big deal about a one-year-old and then like later on, like when people get older and they've done some stuff, we're like, oh, it's just another year. Just not, anyway, moving on from that. But, but we celebrate, like, like for instance, I've noticed that when you go to class, people are like, man, I want to give you some money and celebrate you. No, they... That happens when you walk across the stage and receive your diploma. That's when people say, like, and, and, and that's typically what we would celebrate. No one pats you on the back and throws a party when you finish practice. You win the championship, and then you celebrate. No one says, hey, let's, let's go get dressed up real fancy and go to so-and-so's first date together and just watch. Helicopter parents do that, but, but the rest of us won't because that'd be weird. No, but, but when the wedding comes, when the wedding comes, man, you're, you're going to get a gift. Nobody's, nobody's making a big deal and celebrating. When, when you, you had an Insta story about how you got your first $200 towards your down payment on your house. <laughs> nobody's like, oh my, they made it. No, but the day that you actually close on that house, man, they'll have a housewarming party. They're going to give you gifts. They're going to hook you up, okay? But because of these things, we have a tendency to say we're living our life for the milestones. We're living our life for those big things that everybody's going to say, wow, amazing, incredible. But you have to understand what the host of heaven is looking for. God is more concerned with your growth than he is with your goals. And God likes your goals, but he's not interested in you skipping the steps in the process for you to develop who he's called you to be. God wants to do his best work in you. And I promise that God's best work will be in the process and not in the promise. God's best work 
(laughs) And where you're going to find the joy and where you're going to find the peace and fulfillment is not going to be when you arrive. It's going to be you trusting him in the process before you get to the promise. Because he's trying to work in you, not just around you. And there's so many examples of this throughout the word. Abraham is a great example. One day God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to establish a nation through you, Abraham. You're going to have kids that outnumber the grains of sand and the stars in the sky. And Abraham's like, awesome. Let's get going. Let's start this. Where's my palace? And where's my slaves? And where's my servants? And where's all this thing? God says, no, 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 no. You take a step. And every day you take a step. And every day you trust me. Abraham was 100 years old before the first part of the overall promise took place through his first son. Joseph was another guy. He has this dream. He's not sure what it means. He was a little foolish with how he shared his dream, but he goes to his, he sees his brothers and his family bowing down before him. And he's like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to rule over all you guys. He doesn't know it was going to take decades and prison and hardship and all this thing for God to develop in him, in his timing, what he needed to ultimately rule in Egypt. God is working a process. So if you feel like you're in waiting and you're in a process, great news. God is elevating you to do something great. And you can trust him. You can trust him. Number four, don't be a hearer and not a doer of the word. Back to verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What God is saying is this. You need to take a picture of your life. You need to take a picture of what he's doing and get a clear, get it in focus and take a picture of it so you can remember. So you can always refer back and and, and remember, no, no, I'm not gonna get discouraged. I'm not gonna give up on his truth. I'm not gonna give up on his word. I'm not gonna give up on what he's doing because I remember I took a picture of the wisdom and the clarity and the revelation that he gave me of why. And I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna go back to that. Don't forget, crave to remember God's truth. Crave to remember God's word for your life. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is not saying that we are saved by works. It's saying if we're just hearing and we're not doing, it's killing us it'll kill you spiritually. It'll just kill you. What is the Lord challenging you to do? What is he asking you to do that you keep putting off, that you keep making excuses about, that you're letting fear and insecurity keep you from doing? Fear is not from God. He is not the author of confusion. What is it that God is asking you to do? 
what are you willing to do that if God doesn't help you, you won't succeed? Because when you're in that, that's a great place to be. Where it's just, man, this is big. And you need to understand this. God doesn't need you to be a martyr for him. Like when, when you start thinking, man, what is, God, I'll sacrifice anything. I'll die for you. Okay, well, first of all, if that really came to test, I, I, I think you'd be challenged in that. It'd be hard. But really, that's not what God's asking you to do. He's asking you to live for him. It's, it's harder to live for him than it is to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. And so the great news is this. It's not saying, man, you need to sell everything that you own and move to Djibouti, Africa and live with the homeless. That's not what he's saying. He's saying wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever God has given you, use it according to his word. Use it according to his will. You can't do this without accurately looking at yourself and figuring out what are my motives. And so you may need to like literally go and like look at yourself in the mirror and just say, God, is there anything in me that doesn't align with you? And be honest about it. Be honest about it. Because when I was looking at this and I was thinking about it, I feel like the Lord, one of the things that the Lord and this has been over a process, okay? This doesn't, didn't happen like the last two days. This has been over the last couple months of me feeling like God is saying, you're so busy teaching people how to let me change them that I can't get to you. I can't get to you. That'll make your heart stop when you feel like God has told you something like that. And so it helped me to realign. I forgot for a second who I am. Who I am in him, who he's called me to be. And I believe that God is asking you. And so this is what I did. I just said, God, I'm sorry. And I'm gonna repent. And what that meant was there were some things I needed to change. I needed to make some adjustments in my life. And I just said, God, will you give me another chance? And he he does. God is great at mulligans. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Um, There might be some of you that, man, you're struggling. And the reason why you're struggling is because you you haven't, you've heard the word. You've heard it, you know it. You know the truth, but you're just really struggling with with surrendering everything that you need to surrender to walk in it. And and because of that, there's always gonna be a part of you that's immature in Christ. It can't develop. And, And for some of you, it's like every time something difficult comes up, you run to so many different things to try to help except the one place that can help. And that's the presence of God. It's to his word, it's to his truth. 
there's some of you, the reason why you struggle right now is because you just, you're not in a complete place of surrender. And so if you're here today and you're, you're in that place of frustration, you know, but you haven't been living it because you haven't been surrendered to it, to his truth, to his word. And, and, and that may mean that you've just never surrendered your life to Jesus. Or it may mean that you did, but you need to come back to him. You need to rededicate your life to him today. If you're one of those people, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, for him to save you, to be obedient to his word, to make him the Lord of your life. Nobody looking around, if that's you, I wanna pray with you. And I believe that God is gonna let his grace hit you just like it hit that worship service when Ben was just humble. If you'll be humble right now, I believe you're gonna feel God's presence on you. If that's you, nobody look around, if that's you, I just wanna pray. Put your hand up. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Any person in this room, yes, 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 yes. Got it. Thanks, man. Thanks for being bold. God's gonna honor that. Yes. Anybody else? I know I need to surrender to God. I know I need to surrender to his plan, his purpose. Anybody else? Got it. I see your hand back there. I got it. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I need to surrender to his plan, to his purpose. Okay, Father God, I thank you for every person that just raised their hand. I don't know the full story of everything that's going on, but you do. If you raise your hand, just talk to God right there in your chair. I think it's very important that you go public with this decision at one point. You can make a personal decision to follow Jesus, but your relationship with God was never meant to be private. It's meant to be very public. Otherwise, he can't use you. He wants to use you. But right there, just talk to him and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. I've messed up more times than I can even count. Right now, I come before you and I ask for your grace and I ask for your, for, for your mercy. I believe, I don't understand all, but I believe that your son Jesus paid for the price, paid the price for my sin on the cross. And I confess my sin to you and I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. And I thank you that you didn't stay dead, that you rose from the grave. You defeated death. You defeated my sin. Thank you that you're in heaven. You're preparing a place for every person that, that calls on you, who puts their hope and their trust in you. And so God, I, I don't just ask you to save me. I, I wanna live for you. So I surrender my life to you, Jesus, as my Lord. Help me, help me. I humble myself before you, God. Help me to walk, not just to hear your word, but to do what it says. Not just to trust you when it's easy, but to have the fullness of joy, even when it's hard, because I know you're in control. You love me, you see me. I thank you for that. God, in the name of Jesus, let us be a church of discipleship. Don't let us just be a church, God, where we just come and enjoy services, but God, let us be a church whose roots go deep, deep into your word, built on your kingdom, let us be a people who don't just receive discipleship, but also answer the call to disciple others. Let us be a church of fully devoted followers of Christ. 
just like the book of James is calling people to a place of maturity. We thank you for that, that responsibility, that honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand for his word this morning. The people that raise their hand to get right with Jesus. God's good.